Bible already. Let's go to Luke uh, chapter 19. I've already been introduced, but I'll introduce myself again. My name is Aaron Cotton. I'm the Family Discipleship uh, Pastor here at The Grove, and I am so excited to be before you uh, to be on this uh, Palm Sunday. Y'all, it's Palm Sunday. It's Holy Week. I just get excited about just the launch of, of today and what is before us and ahead of us through the days to come as we prepare for Easter. We've been in a season of preparation as a church. We started on Ash Wednesday. Uh, we've been going through a, a, a season of Lent as we've gone without to be with Jesus in deep and new and refreshing ways. And today we join in with that crowd in Luke 19 uh, to say, Hosanna, save us. Palm branches. Earlier there was a kid walking around with a stick horse. You're wondering, why are we, and does he have a stick horse? Because our kids are celebrating Palm Sunday, so parents get ready. Man, Jesus is coming into here riding on a donkey, but he's also going to be sent out into your homes. And so that's what, man, as a, as a church, we are coming together to celebrate, man, what God has done, is doing, and what he, what he will, what he will do. And, and I think about Passover. During this time in Jerusalem, y'all, there was so much anticipation. There was so much angst because when, when Passover happened, there was around 200,000 people that would converge on Jerusalem. And there's this talk about a Messiah who was going to come to make things right. And Jesus comes in and they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And so there's like in this day, today, they're, they're like, oh man, the Messiah is here. I don't know if you like to grill or not. Anybody like to grill in the house? Now I ain't talking about like the Traeger type of grilling, y'all. Where you just flip a switch. No, I'm talking about when you actually light a fire. You know what I'm saying? I got some, some head nod. I, I even got an amen out of that. And not only with, with, with charcoal, but you got to have some lighter fluid, of course. But never buy the cheap charcoal. You know what I'm saying? You always regret it later. Always get, always get the brand name stuff. And now they, they saturate that stuff in lighter fluid. But every now and then I'll get the cheap stuff. And I, not only does it, does it take two times to light the charcoal, and every time I'm like, why did I do this to myself? Wow, that was, was not worth the cost. But then you got to throw some more lighter fluid on it. And there's this moment where there's these, these coals that are just, um, man, just embedded in, in they're cooking and it's getting hot, but it needs like that one more last, you know what I'm talking about? So you do it one more time, the fumes are going and you can't just like stick the lighter all the way near the charcoal because you, you'll, you'll lose your eyebrows. If you look really close to my right one right here, it's actually, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I'm just saying when you go down there and light that charcoal, that thing's going to boom. You have to go, this is Passover, y'all. This is the moment of Jesus riding in. The, the fumes are going, the lighter fluid, the fumes are happening, and y'all, it's about to ignite. It's about to boom, but it's going to boom in a way that the people did not expect. Luke chapter 19, Jesus is coming in. All this expectation, all this anticipation, this even says in Luke chapter 19 that the people were supposing that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. But this expectation, y'all, this is what we are invited to in on this Palm Sunday is where are our expectations? What are we expecting? Because the people expected a boom of a physical deliverance, that Rome would no longer be the case, that they would be delivered from physical bondage or oppression. But yet Jesus comes in, he doesn't offer physical deliverance, he's going to offer a spiritual deliverance. The greater enemy, Rome enemy for sure, but the greater enemy, the unseen, is sin, death, and evil. And that's what Jesus came to do, is to lay that to death, death itself. And throughout our text this morning, we will see multiple times that it's the king who draws near. We celebrate Palm Sunday, our King Most High, 
But we also celebrate this morning our shepherd who's been made available and most low. Are we ready, church? He's coming. He's coming riding on this donkey. Will we allow him into our hearts? Will we allow him to do a work? What are our expectations this morning? What are we wanting but not getting from Jesus? Or what are you not wanting but have been given? What are our expectations? And how much anger are we experiencing? And do we do well to be angry because it's in the midst of anger? Is really this sinful anger? Underneath there's a desire that's being met. And we're expecting Jesus to fulfill that. But Jesus isn't our butler, y'all. He's not our waitress. He doesn't meet all of our expectations because he's doing a greater work than what we could conjure up ourselves. Do we do well to be angry? Our king draws near. And as he draws near this morning, we're going to talk about idols. But because of idols, we will first focus on certain aspects of who Jesus is. Because if we want to fight idols, we want to fight those things that are getting the best of our heart. There are specific things, hear me now church, there are specific things about who God is that helps us as we fight against specific idols that we tend to wrestle with or fight against. And so our first characteristic of who God is, it's God's sovereignty. It's because he is sovereign, it uproots the idol of control. It's God's sovereignty that uproots the idol of control. Let's get into the text, Luke chapter 19, verse 28. If you're there, can I hear you say, got it? it. Let's read. Word of the Lord. And when he said these things, he went on ahead and going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near, there it is. And when he drew near to Bethage and to Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, or Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, and where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Underline that. No one has ever sat on this colt or donkey. Untie it. And bring it here, verse 31. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away found it just as Jesus had told them. Talking about God's sovereignty, that he's in absolute control. He sends these disciples into the unknown because the plan was already set. The God of the universe had already predetermined from the very beginning that this specific donkey in this specific time, on this specific day, we celebrate Palm Sunday because God is sovereign. He's in the details. His timing is never off. He's not subject to time because he authored time. He determines what is best and when is best. And he determines the boundaries in which we live. Y'all, it's with these sovereign truths of God being in control that frees us up to release control. Imagine yourselves that you are those disciples who Jesus says, all right, I'm going to go into Jerusalem, and as I do, I'm going to send you out into a village. Now, y'all, I'm a guy who wrestles with control. I'm thinking, all right, Jesus, you want me to go find a donkey, some random donkey. You want me to roll in, okay, uh, like into this, to this village, ask for this donkey. Can I get like some more, I don't know, like, uh, uh, some more details on the matter. Is it a man I'm going to encounter? Is it a woman? Uh, what, co- what, co- what color hair do they have? They got a beard. Do they have a social security number? Can I get their social security number? Can I get their blood type, Jesus? Can I, so that when I roll up on them, I can say, hey, yeah, I know your blood type, social security number. No, Jesus doesn't provide any of that information. The only thing that Jesus provides is the words, the Lord has need of it. Imagine the faith of these disciples 
because it's God's sovereignty, because he is in control, it, it, it enables us to release control. Because we expect God to reveal all the variables, all the outcomes of life. And when he doesn't, our tendency is to fabricate, fabricate our own security and our own control. And then we manipulate and take matters into our own hands because we don't really believe God's hands are actually doing anything. And so we try to be God. We try to place ourselves and be, we try to be king. And as a result, for the, for the control idol that's going on in our heart, the result on the top is a lot of anxiety, a lot of, a lot of doom. And, and, and we can get so caught up in the anxiety and so caught up in the fear that we don't realize to go underneath the surface to realize, oh, I'm, I'm dealing with some control here. That's why God has provided his sovereignty to deal with this idol of control. Jeremiah chapter 18, I, I literally stumbled upon this, this passage. It'll be on the screen behind me. It says, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise. Because when you're in anxiety, you need to be risen. You need to be risen from the fog. Arise, Jeremiah, and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. I'm going to invite you in, Jeremiah. Because I'm a king who draws near. I'm a, I'm a king who on this, riding on this donkey, coming to make myself available, make my word available, and I'm going to let you in. Verse 3, so when I went down to the potter's house, there he was working at his wheel, and the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled. Got this, this potter who's, who's making clay. He's got this spoiled clay in the, in the potter's hand, and here it is. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to do. And then the word of the Lord came to me and said, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Why this obscure passage? Why a random pa passage from quote from Jeremiah chapter 18? Because it points to the fact that God is sovereign, that he takes something that is spoiled, takes something that is damaged, something that in our minds, may be completely destroyed and flawed, and he creates something beautiful. And so no matter what we are coming in with this morning, no matter the grief that we may be wrestling with, no matter the loss that we may have been experiencing, Jesus is producing life, and he's producing a weight, a glory that goes beyond all comparison, that goes beyond the seen into the unseen. This is our expert. This is what we pursue. To not get so caught up in the scene, because it's in the scene that produces a lot of anxiety. we got to tune into the unseen, to these spiritual realities that Jesus came to defeat sin, death, and evil. He's making all things new. And as we struggle, he's producing in us a weight of glory that goes beyond all comparison. There's a weight about us, church. When we go through things, when, we're, when, when, when our hands are taken off of control, to, to now detach from, uh, and to attach our hands to, to the one who is in control. Y'all, it's God's sovereignty that enables us to sleep at night. It's God's sovereignty that gives us hope with our lost friends and family. It's God's sovereignty that provides hope in parenting. Can I get an amen? We need some, we need some hope in the trenches, and we need hope when there's war, when we see on our screens. It's God's sovereignty, knowing that just as God is at work here in our, our town of Richmond, he's at work in Ukraine right now, working in ways that we cannot see. Because if you focus on the things that are, are seen just on the screen, it's going to produce anxiety. we got to tap into the unseen, knowing that Jesus is working for his glory, our good, and he's in the details, y'all. For this specific donkey, on this specific day, 
that our king has come. He's sovereign and he's in control. I have a challenge for us as we leave this place. What would it look like for you to take a piece of paper for those that wrestle with control right here? I, me as well. I'm in the boat. For those that wrestle with control, what if we took a piece of paper and on that piece of paper we drew a line down the middle? And we said, on one side we said, what I can control, I'll go over here. What I can control, these are things that I can control. And maybe on the other side, we'd write down and jot down some things, the things that we cannot control. We can control our attitude. We can control our behavior. We can control our actions. But we can't control people, y'all. We can't control the past, and we can't control the future. We can control in our parenting. We can control enforcing boundaries. We can, we can control training up in the Lord. We can, we can have family discipleship. But y'all, what we can't control is if the Lord gets after their heart can't control that. And for us to step into that, to that column, to step into that arena is an attempt to be God. But would we allow God to be God and to be sovereign? Because that is where the restless heart finds its rest in its sovereign king. He's in control. Would you do this exercise this week? What I can control, what I cannot control, and the things that we cannot control, we give it to the one who is. There's our rest. Because, church, it's God's sovereignty that uproots the control idol. Secondly, it's God's sufficiency. I got carried away with the S's. I'm not going to lie. This week. Got carried away. God's God's sufficiency. God's sovereignty. God's sufficiency that uproots the idol of possessions. Look with me in the word. Verse 33. As they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Of course they're going to ask that question. You come in rolling on my property, taking my colt. Why, what are you doing? And they said, there's the password. The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. Imagine you were these owners of this valuable possession. Imagine someone came ringing on your doorbell. You already know that they're there because you got a ring on your door. You see that there's a creeper out there. And you're like, yeah, I ain't getting the door. Salesperson, I'm sure. Not even going to answer it. But what if we miss that opportunity? Because you notice what happened. They rolled up on this village and the owner see these people. And whether Jesus arranged this, which could have been a total possibility, I think he's just Jesus and works in mysterious ways. And they, they roll up and these owners see them and they say, hey, like, you, can't take my, you can't take my donkey. It's like someone rolling up on your door and saying, hey, can I have your car? No, you cannot have my car. That's a valuable possession. And the Lord has need of it? I'm too skeptical to believe that. Now you're just using the Lord to get what you want. But no, 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 it was an opportunity because there was a risk here of realizing, no, 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 this possession here is going to be lent towards the Lord and toward, towards the advancement of the kingdom. But yet these owners, they display faith and they don't, they don't even have a name. They were generous and for all of eternity, they will remain nameless. When we are generous, church, are we okay with not being known? Are we okay with not being known, being content with all that God is and what he has done because he is sufficient. The Lord already knew. So a question I ask us this morning is how closely do you hold on to stuff? How closely do you hold on to stuff? And could it be that what we own actually owns us? Now I'm about to quote Lord of the Rings. And some of y'all are really Lord of the Rings people. I'm really not. I fell asleep multiple times with the whole thing. One day I'll become a man and I'll be able to survive it, I guess. We'll see when that day comes. But I do know there's a guy named Smeagol who always gave me the creeps. Smeagol, is that right? Okay, you don't even know him. 
name was Smeagol. This was his, was his hobbit name. And he was a hobbit, and then he became so consumed with this ring. Y'all remember what he was saying? I'm not going to do the voice because that would be creepy, and I don't want y'all's ears to suffer. But he would say, my precious, my precious. And he becomes so consumed with this ring that literally he deteriorated into what is known as Gollum. Not only was he, like, he presentable, now he can't even like, roll up on people without giving them the heebie-jeebies. Like, this guy's living in the cave. And the reason why his name was Gollum is because literally his throat was giving away, and so he'd make this coughing noise, is what I've learned, that, 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 and people would keep their distance, and why his name was Gollum. He was an outcast. And literally, as the Bible says in Psalm 32, I think I heard a sermon on it about it a couple weeks ago, that when we, when we keep silent about our sin, our bones waste away. That when we hide this, when we had this, this desire to covet, when possessions have got a hold of our heart, it deteriorates us because it turns our, our, our wants into needs, which now we've entered into the arena of idols. The things that we cannot live without have now taken the throne of our heart, so we compartmentalize and we obsess over. We obsess over. When we see this within our kids. We tell your kids to share their toys. It's like, no, 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 this is mine. He ain't going to be sharing my toys. And my son has gotten really good. Like, Paw Patrol is no longer cool. And so he's okay sharing Paw Patrol toys to his sister. I mean, this is pleasant. But, it's, but if sister rolls up on the excavator. <laughs> Y'all was at the house the other day. I thought someone, like, was dying in the other room. By the base upon that scream, the blood curdling, no. I go in the door, what's, hey, everything okay? No, everything was not okay because the, uh, the sister touched an idol. The excavator, because it's, he says, now, I can share all my other toys, but the excavator is my special toy. Oh, okay, brother. All right. Where, where's, that, where's that in the book? That, we have, we, that because something is special, we're unable to be a blessing. And y'all, we do the same thing. We have a, li a life that is compartmentalized to, Jesus, you can have this, but you can't have this. Jesus, you can have my paycheck, but don't touch my special 401k. Don't do, Jesus, don't do that. Jesus, you can have my front yard, sure, but you can't have my special living room. I, I don't want to invite anybody into that place. Jesus, you can have my goodwill, like all the leftover items, but, but, but leave my good stuff alone. Jesus, you can have my TV, that's fine, but don't touch my phone. Jesus, you can have my Sunday, but let me have my everyday. We live this compartmentalized life, and God's sufficiency invites us to lay those possessions at his disposal as these owners did. I don't have time too much to get into it, but as Jesus is going into Jerusalem, in John chapter 12, another account, it says that th th there was this point where Jesus was hanging out. He just literally raised Lazarus from the dead. And so the, the people are celebrating, as you should, if someone just rose from the dead, they're getting their party on. And they're partying, and Lazarus is there, and Mary and Martha. Martha, of course, is getting busy. Mary gets out an alabaster ointment that she has, um, that, that was special to her. Her prized possession, do y'all remember? She broke that thing, which according, according to, to, to some, some, some study, this was like $300,000 worth of what your salary would be, that she's breaking open and she is anointing Jesus' feet. And you remember Judas' response. He sees this and says, this money could have been used for the poor. We can't be so reckless with this. But because Jesus is most worthy, he's worth it all. Because he's most worthy, it puts off a fragrance that pleases him and intrigues 
others. This Mary did not care what people thought. She didn't care to be known as being reckless. But she invites us to maybe not be so reserved, especially with our valuables and what the Lord has entrusted to us for the disposal of the king and his kingdom. And as Jesus was anointed with that perfume, you know he smelled good, y'all. He just got anointed, and he's rolling into Jerusalem smelling fresh. She just, he just got a, she, she shared a moment that now was a blessing to others. Old Spice ain't got nothing on this ointment, y'all. Jesus is rolling in, saying the kingdom has come, and the king is here. What fragrance church are you putting off? What has your attitude been like lately? Is it one of comparison? Because comparison will always lead to complaining. Comparison always leads to complaining, or is it contentment and thankfulness for all of who Jesus is and what he has done? It's, it's God's sufficiency, church, that he's enough that uproots the idol of possessions. Number three, God's shalom. God's shalom uproots the idol of comfort. God's shalom, his wholeness, his Peace uproots the idol of comfort. Verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus, this being the donkey, and they threw their cloaks on the colt. And they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Jesus is getting this red carpet treatment. They've laid it all out there before him. And he's, he, this phrase, they set Jesus on it. Man, I just could not escape it because it's almost like he needed help to get on that donkey, to get situated. But later he's not going to be carried as a king. He's going to carry a cross as a criminal, though innocent. Jesus is our king and he's also our Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And y'all, Jesus isn't on a war, ho- war horse. He's on a donkey. He's on, he's, on, he's on a donkey. If you were to ride in as king, what would you ride in on? If you were, like, we're trained as kids watching Aladdin. Aladdin ain't rolling on in on donkey. He's got the elephant going, the band's going. If I had to ride on, ride on anything as king, give me a tiger. I'll roll in on a tiger or a lion. And if we were rolling, like, Jesus, he totally flips our expectation. And why the donkey? Because the donkey's significant. Because Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. It says in Zechariah 9, 9, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and justice, having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. 500 years before Jesus even rolls into Jerusalem, there's this prophecy that the Messiah would be on a donkey. That's why the people are rejoicing. That's why the people can't contain themselves because you got a Messiah on a donkey riding in. Why else this donkey? Why would Jesus choose a donkey? Because it demonstrates his availability. If you're on a horse, if you're on anything higher, you have to, you have to lift up your eyes to be able to see or, or to, to acknowledge whoever's on the horse. But one on a donkey is one that's available. And it's almost awkward if you've ever seen a grown man on a donkey because his legs are almost touching the ground. And he's almost at eye level, but riding a donkey. But Jesus willingly puts himself on a donkey, almost to create some awkwardness to get eye level with us because Jesus doesn't want that just compartmentalized life. He wants to make himself available because there's intimacy when we behold each other's face. And right now, as I'm looking at some of y'all, some of y'all, like, as soon as I make eye contact, you do one of these. 
Jesus makes himself available and says, no, 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 I, I know what's happened in your past. I know what you've done. I've come to make things new. I've come to offer forgiveness. I've come to make myself available to give you a peace, a peace in the midst of the storm. But why else would Jesus choose a donkey? I think to give us who are a hard-headed hope. If you know anything about a donkey, it is extremely, extremely stubborn. And it's this donkey that has never been ridden. Y'all, that, that is such a key phrase that's never been ridden, yet Jesus, it, because he is in authority, is able to, to have this donkey submit to his rule and to his reign. This is a miracle. For someone who has grown up with, with horses and grown up with training horses, uh, for, for, like when I was growing up, we had horses that my dad was given to so that he, would, he was known as breaking a horse and he would train horses. There's multiple hours that my dad had spent in the round pen literally lunging horses, which is literally this right here. Just going around and around and as a horse goes around, then you change directions and the horse would go this way. Very tedious work. And then what he'd do is he had these, um, these logs that he cut out that almost looked like half of a man. And he would lay these logs on, on the horse. And it always creeped me out as a kid because I always thought someone was in the round pen. Nope, just dad's logs that he uses for breaking horses. And they would put that on the horse because when you have weight on a back that's never been ridden, they can't help themselves but to kick, react, throw off. And it's that phrase as a horse trainer, it's, it's, it's to break a horse. And when a horse is broken, it can be used in the same way, why do I mention this? Because Jesus invites us this morning to come broken and dependent so we can submit to his rule of peace and reject the idol of comfort. To come broken and to come dependent to submit to his rule. Because verse 37 says, as he was drawing near. There it is again. Our king is the one who draws near. As he's drawing near already on the way of, down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude, multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that had, they had seen. They'd seen Jesus raise people from the dead. They've seen the lame walk. They have seen blind people receive sight. That's Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 language. That's more prophecy that Jesus is confirming to show who he is. And the people are getting excited, and they say in verse 38, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Because now it isn't just not, no longer his disciples, but people have caught wind about it in the city, and now people are coming out of the city. Remember Passover, y'all. 200,000 plus people that are camping out on the hillside because the city can't be contained. And so now it's a massive party. You got his disciples, you got more disciples, and they're shouting Psalm 118, 24 and 26, which is a psalm sung during Passover. And they're saying the Messiah is here. In Psalm 118, verse 24, if you were to go back and look at that passage, it says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, if you know this verse, you're familiar with the, with the song, maybe growing up as a kid, this is the day, this is the day. Some of y'all got the head nod going. Y'all are like, I just brought you back to childhood. Y'all about ready to bust out in song. I'm not, we're not going to do that. Maybe we should celebrate the occasion. But this is the day. I usually quote this verse, usually when I wake, like this is the day the Lord's made. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be glad in it. But no, no, no. This is the day. Like what day? This is the day the Messiah has come. 
This is what they're saying. The Messiah, the Messiah is here. Our king is here. He's about to defeat some people. Rome is about to get wrecked with. We're about, we're, we're about to be uh, comforted. We're about to experience some peace. This is the day the Lord has made. Verse 25, save us. Hosanna. Save us, we pray, O Lord. We pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This day has been marked out in history. And y'all, this sounds really good. The people are quoting the Bible. They know the Bible. They're familiar with the scripture, but yet they miss the peace. His glory is most high. On this day, it has been made available most low. And his peace, it is high above us, and it cannot be reached or attained by ourselves. No food, no substance, no drink, no performance, no success can get you high enough to reach the heavens. Are y'all with me? There's a reason why we call it getting a high, because we want to get high and reach the heavens, because our souls and our bodies have been made to encounter the king. Our, we, we've been created to experience and be connected with the heavens, and we can't do that our own. That's why peace had to come and make himself available. This is the peace we were created for, and it has touched down in the person of Jesus. It's the people who are well acquainted with the Bible got peace wrong. And I can't assume that we know this peace. This is why Jesus continues on in verse 41. And when he drew near, there it is again. When he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. In the midst of celebration, the people are partying. They're getting excited, shouting, Hosanna. Where's Jesus? Yeah, he's weeping. He's crying over the, the city. What is he crying about? What is he weeping about? It says that would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Why is Jesus weeping? Because they got peace wrong and judgment was coming because they were going to reject their king. Church, when is the last time you were broken over your neighborhood? When's the last time you were broken over our city? When's the last time you prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done in Richmond as it is in heaven? Listen to me now. When comfort is worshiped, it lends itself to a life of complacency. But when Christ is worshiped, it leads to a life of compassion. When comfort's got the best of your heart, it leads to a life of complacency. But when Christ is worshiped, it leads to a life of compassion. We see the needs of others. We see the brokenness of our world. We're operating out of worshiping Jesus. It leads to a life of love. That's why it says in Exodus chapter 3, when God heard the cry of his people, he, not just, he wasn't repelled by it. He saw it, and he did something about it. Would we be moved with his compassion? I felt convicted about this myself, y'all, this past week. There's a road called West Belfort, and, and there's a road that, re, that, that you hit Skinner back on the back end of Longmeadow Farms. I really don't care to go through my neighborhood because <laughs> it takes time. It, there, there's people all over the street, but if I go down West Belfort and Skinner, it's wide open. I can go over the speed, speed limit a little bit, get to my house a little bit quicker. I can see some livestock. It's, it's, it's more enjoyable to me. I was coming, coming home this past week, and the Lord said, yeah, you're about to preach on like me weeping over the city, and yet you're so controlled by ease and being, being in a rush. Hey, why don't you slow down and go through your neighborhood? 
And what would it look like for us to go through our neighborhood with the eyes of Jesus and pray for our city and our neighborhoods and families? Because y'all, there's families around us who are struggling. There's marriages around us that, 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 are, that are maybe in the, the deep end. There, there are kids going off the reservation, and that may be one of us. Hey, you're welcome here. We're so glad you're here. That's why we talk about Jesus, because he's our only hope. He, he is our only peace. And when he's at the center, when he's at the center, I'm not saying life is easy, but life is hopeful. That God is in midst in the work of the pit, of despair, for his glory, church, and our good. The crowds got peace wrong, even though they knew the scripture. True peace wasn't in removing Roman oppression, but it was about defeating the greater enemy. It's in the defeat we find true peace, no matter the circumstance, no matter if we're struggling in our marriage, no matter how our kids are, no matter what is going on in our life circumstantially, Jesus provides a shalom. He provides a peace in the midst of the chaotic winds of life to be our peace now and forever. Church, do you know this peace? Do you, have you experienced this peace? And what shallow comforts have gotten in the way of you truly seeing Jesus for who he is? What shallow comforts have gotten the best of your heart? Maybe drink, it may be food, it may be performance, it may be success, maybe substance, maybe the approval of people. These things aren't bad things, by, by the way, in and of themselves. They just make terrible gods. Drink, food, celebrate. When Easter happens, we're going to celebrate in light of the king. Good things make terrible gods. Jesus is our God. Lastly, God's supremacy. God's supremacy uproots the heart. Sorry, uproots the idol of approval. God's supremacy uproots the idol of approval. Verse 39, if you're there, can I hear you say, got it. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, all this praise is going on. Rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, if these, uh, sorry, if these were silent, if the people were silent, these very stones would cry out. Jesus, do you not know what the people are saying? They're saying you are the Christ. You're the fulfillment of Zechariah 9, Zechariah 14, and Isaiah 53, and Isaiah 35, 5, and 6. They know, like, they're saying that's you. Hey, rebuke them. Because it either was blasphemy or it was true. And deep down, these Pharisees really loved approval. And Jesus is getting the approval that they want. They wanted the people to sing about their praises. It says in John chapter 12, verse 43, for, the, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We are not designed to be satisfied with our own glory, but to be satisfied with God's glory. If you find yourself competing with others rather than celebrating what God is doing, then approval has won your heart. Did y'all hear that? If you see your life more of in competition rather than celebrating what God is doing, approval has gotten your heart because you want the approval to happen to you. You want the admiration to happen to you. They were singing the praises that they wanted. Deep down, they were narcissists. And we are too, on one level or another. This guy named narcissist in Greek mythology was, was known to be a beautiful young man. And he loved himself so much that there was no room for the love of others. And he stumbled across a, a pool where he found his reflection. 
And because he loved himself so much, he literally saw his reflection and made his bed there. He camped out there because he loved to look at himself. So much so that he literally made his home there where he eventually died. Not even to eat, not even to get up, because he was so consumed with the reflection in which he saw. He literally self-destructed. And if we want a biblical example, look at no, no further than Saul. When it said Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. You remember Saul grows irrational, grows uh, uh, chaotic, and he seeks to kill. The approval, when it's got the best of your heart, it leads to hostility and then murder. That's why the Pharisees attempted, and they did, put Jesus to death, knowing that Jesus is really in control, and he's willingly laying down his life, submitting to the plan. But the approval, if it got the best of our heart, it leads to hostility. There's a writer called John Bloom. He writes for Desiring God. He has an article entitled, Beware of the Mirror. Speaking of narcissism, narcissism, he says, mirrors do not just hang on walls. We have the tendency to turn everything into a mirror for us to be admired. How easily we can use our careers, our families, our yard of the months, our resumes, our social media platforms, our homes, even our churches as a means to inflate the self and be admired. The gospel we need won't be viewed in mirrors. We need to look through a window. And that's what the Bible is. The Bible is not a mirror. It's a window in which we see and come to encounter Jesus in his glory, in his image, and become content in him. It's not about improving our self-image to gain approval, but looking to Jesus, the better image. The The better image is what we need to see. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, according to Hebrews chapter 12, to be conformed to his image and to behold him as most supreme. In Jesus, the God of the universe, if you are in Jesus and you have a relationship with him, the God of the universe, hear this church, the God of the universe says, you are my delight. I don't just put up with you. If you are in Jesus, I am satisfied. You're my delight. You're my child. You're my beloved. Church, are these truths, are they not enough for us? Because if these truths aren't enough for us, we'll, we'll drift into looking to the crowds rather than the Christ and what he says about us and what is true of us. Would we look to Calvary? Would we look to gaze upon Jesus to see the love that went the distance all the way from heaven to our heart and join with creation as they make much of him? And I'll close with with this thought, y'all. Because it says in Psalm 66, all the earth worships you and sings praises to you They sing praises to your name when we join in creation and making much of the name of Jesus. Jesus tells these narcissists, I tell you that if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And those stones did cry out, church. It was on that Good Friday we call good, but it was dark and depressing because humanity was on display. Jesus was forsaken and wanted to be forgotten. In the attempt to be silenced, creation could not help but cry out while humanity remained silent. When it seemed like defeat, Christ, the victorious one on that cross, was still at work. Do you remember when Jesus was on that cross? Dead people were raised. Earthquakes were happening. The sun went dark. And what happened to the rocks? They split open. 
Because Jesus was being split open to split that curtain to get to you and to me. To give us a peace in the midst of the storm. He was alone. He was beaten. No one singing his praises that day or that hour. Because our king is the rock breaker. He breaks idols from having power over us. While even in the midst of defeat. He's the rock breaker. He was split open to split our heart to give us a, a new heart. So if you're visiting us this morning, have questions about a relationship with Jesus or what it looks, what it looks like to, to follow him. We talk about and celebrate on Palm Sunday, Jesus making himself available, dying the death that you and I deserve. And raising to life, we'll celebrate next week on Sunday. Would we tr- trust in him? He's the, he's the rock breaker. He gives us new hearts to, to defeat sin, death, and evil. Would we trust him? God's sovereignty uproots the idol of control. God's sufficiency uproots the idol of possessions. God's shalom uproots the idol of comfort. And God's supremacy uproots the idol of approval. Let me pray. We'll continue to worship. God, I pray after reading that last portion that we wouldn't want to remain silent. Yes, that we join the people in confirming the fact that you are the Messiah, but God, I pray that we would be mindful of our fragile and wandering hearts who we too can easily shout Hosanna on a day like today. And later when our expectations aren't met, we can yell crucify. So God, we want to close in song. We want to lift your, high, your name high not just in, a, in, in song, but God, with our lives. God, you're the king who draws near, riding on a donkey, willingly laying down your life so that we could find ours. You're our hope, you're our peace in this life. We trust you and love you because you're the rock breaker. If we, have, if we have hard hearts, would you break our hard hearts and give us hearts that beat and yearn for you? Only you can do this. We rest in your control, not our own. It's your name I pray.